Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. Well, we have Scott Crone with us here tonight. Uh, Scott, I really appreciate you uh, being with us and being part of the Mastermind Network here. So with that, I'm going to uh, definitely send everybody to your website because you you cover a lot of ground, everything from multifamily investing to storage units to, I mean, you even have an architecture degree. I mean, you're, you have a lot going on. I mean, it's a uh, I got. I got to admit, you, you've crammed a lot in in your uh, lifetime here already. Uh, I don't know where you're going to go from here, but man alive, there's a lot of masters of architecture, bachelor of history, and then uh, a, a length of awards that I've lost count on here. Um, so I appreciate you being a part of this here today. And uh, head over to CodaMG.com. That's C-O-D-A-M-G.com. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes so you can go to REIMastermind.net for all of Scott's links because I'll include where you can find them on a couple of socials as the, as, there as well. But I really appreciate your time here tonight, Scott. Thanks for having me, Jack. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I, perhaps I, if I'm facing the other direction, you know, I'll look a little bit older. So. Well, so with all of that, um, we're, we're going to focus, because you have such a wide range of, of experience, we're going to try to focus on multifamily, especially storage units here tonight. And uh, so this is going to be a great exercise and comparing both of those type of strategies, because I think there is some synergy there. But uh, I do have to ask, you know, what attracts you with all of your experience to real estate investing? Well, as you pointed out, I did begin in architecture. And for me, that's the creative portion of, there's two elements to the creativity. One is the, the design, and then also the other one's creating the deal structure. And to me, that's where I, I get the most satisfaction of seeing a vision come to fruition. You know, that's something I've always enjoyed doing is seeing being able to build something and seeing, you know, the, the finished product. So for me, that's one of the, the, the most tangible you know, rewards with uh, being in real estate and having doing both the design and the build and the development is uh, seeing what we're, what the vision coming to fruition. Sure. So it, it, it sounds like you also in the process now, you, you, you primarily work on multifamily investing and, and storage units, but you've also, you also have a management company as well. Is that correct? It is correct. Well, we, we've stopped doing uh, multifamily. I, I sold off the portfolio in about 17 um, and started just solely focusing on self-storage. And we created one-stop self-storage in response to that as well. What caused you to make that decision? Well, we had had a major uh, REIT, a Fortune, you know, S&P 100 company managing our, our assets. And we were seeing, you know, not very good velocity in terms of lease up, but expenses were increasing over 40%, including marketing. And um, their conversion rate was just like around 22%, just horrible. And so it was costing us more. It was not being as run the way that they said they were going to run it. And we felt that we could just, you know, literally outperform them on our own assets. And so we, we started our own management company. And sure enough, that's what we've been doing is 
we've been outperforming them pretty significantly. So you're focused on storage units now. What uh, decide? What caused you, for the most part, to decide on that niche uh, outside of you know the? You, there's a lot less of obviously that can go wrong there. It is multifamily without toilets. So yes, I was <laughs> in the middle of the night regarding you know why my plumbing is overflowing because I stuffed you know three socks down the toilet or something like that, right? So. When it was in the uh, the last recession, you know, the major recession of 0809, that I had a client ask me to start investigating distressed self storage, and I really couldn't find it. So I really began just studying the business model and understanding what it goes. And over the over the last few years, we've gone back and studied self storage over the, the last major recessions, beginning in '79, and then um, we were looking at um, the internet bu- bubble and the housing market crash. And each of those major recessions in self-storage continually outperforms any other asset class in, in real estate. And so for us, the, the, the fact that it's predictability and it's you can model it and it's a uh, a lot easier to manage than other asset classes. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I, I've never thought of that. Up until tonight, I have never heard anybody refer to it anything there in that in that niche as distressed self-storage. I, I, I've never heard of such a thing. It's very hard to find. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be very hard to find. So the, these self-storage units that you're buying, are they typically mom and pop type outfits or how are you locating or sourcing these deals? Of all the deals that we've done, we've only bought two existing facilities. The rest of them were, were creating self-storage. So oh, we really? buy an existing building and then we convert it into self-storage. So we are working on some land development ones, but um, the last two that we bought um, one was to expand it and the other one was to improve the management. So that was a first for us where there was really no design or build. It was uh, a very little CapEx, you know, replacing a fence, replacing signage, putting a, you know, motorized gate on it, those sorts of things. Otherwise the, the bulk of the work that we're doing is, is uh, conversions. Yeah. So you're converting and retrofitting existing buildings. Are you finding certain buildings that are, are better suited for that? I know, for example, in our world, uh, Kmart, like there's a lot of Kmart empty buildings right now. Is that, it, that's a perfect building for it. Uh, the challenge with those is that whether or not the local municipalities will allow the building to be um, rezoned into self-storage. Some do, some don't. So, but that's a perfect box, you know, a big square box with a, a loading ramp and multiple ways to get into the building is, is a great box for us. But we have, we have different criteria. So one is we want to see what the local competition is, you know, what our, our square foot per capita is. Excuse me. Then we also want to look at, you know, what the shape of the box is. How easy is it to get into it? Does it have enough ceiling height? Um, the construction technique, you know, are, are there elevators? What size elevators? Those sorts of things. So we take all those things into consideration. We've we've done as high as a, a nine-story building and we've done as, you know, one-story buildings. So, yeah, I've just noticed that uh, more and more seeing a lot of, I just sure see a lot of storage units going up in my part of the world and a lot of what you're referring to, people doing these conversions. And uh, you, you'd think eventually you just kind of run out of opportunity, but it doesn't seem to end. Well, right now the, the American public only uses, only 10% of the public, the population utilizes self-storage. And so overall, it's a, you know, it's not a vastly served population. So, but there's pockets where there's oversaturation. So that's where we look at those demographic studies to make sure that we're going into an area that's underserved. Sure. So in comparison to your experience with multifamily investing and now the self-storage, how do running the numbers differ to make sure that it's a viable investment? 
Well, I'd say the first thing is that, you know, it was very hard to get feasibility study numbers on what future demand is within multifamily. But we can see that immediately within self-storage. So that's the first thing. So if we're comparing the two, I have a lot better understanding of what the demand is going to be. And then I can also pull up what is the market rate for those walkers. So I can see is, is their market underserved or you know overserved in terms of the pricing? So we will have a comparison on that. And then when we look at the expense ratios, multifamily is around 50, 55% expense ratios. Depending on the building, self-storage can any, be anywhere from 25 to 35%. 35 would be very high. Yeah, like you said, like we said when we kicked off, there's there isn't a lot that can actually go wrong there, right? Uh, do you have any that are like climate controlled or is all, it all? With the exception of the ones that we just bought, all the ones that we have built are all climate controlled. So they're all considered class A. You drive up, you're enclosed, you, you're in the building, and you can unload it and take a cart and roll, you roll your, your stuff to the locker. So when you first got into this, did it surprise you that people would pay to store their excess stuff like this? It didn't surprise me. What was surprising me was how big some of these facilities are. You know, So the ones that we're building are between 70 and 100,000 square feet. And so, you know, those are, you know, if you think about in, in my mind, self-storage be like out in the country where you drive down a dirt road and then you turn into a gravel road and you have some drive up lockers. So the two that we bought are like that, but, um, you know, now they're in urban settings where they're in downtown. So, you know, ours are literally three blocks from baseball fields and they're surrounded by multifamily. So as you've been getting into storage investing like this, to give us an example of, of a mistake that you made that you learned, something that you learned from that that somebody else could make that same mistake. That Give them a little advice on how to avoid it. Well, I don't think it's necessarily just within self-storage. I think it's uh, you know overall within real estate, especially now. I think now is a very critical time in the, in the marketplace, in the market cycle, not to overpay for something because you, you make your money on the purchase, not on the, the, the disposition. And uh, overpaying can set back any project. It doesn't matter if it's multifamily, self-storage, whatever it may be. And, you know, I'm seeing apartments that are trading at like three and three and a half, four caps. And it's just like, where's your potential upside? And, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the reasons why I sold my multifamily was because I was like, the caps can't get any better. And so I did. And, you know, I was wrong, but I'd rather be on the front side of that bell curve than on the backside because the backside is pretty fast drop off. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And the last couple of years, we've been really dealing with a pretty strong and hot market. You know, things get on the market and they were so, selling really quickly. And uh, there is nothing worse than overpaying for a, a, a property and then it not performing because you don't want to have to throw in extra money to just maintain. Absolutely. You, in, in chatting with uh, your assistant, you they mentioned that you have three mind-blowing facts about self-storage. Well, I think we touched base on a little bit. One, it's, it is a predictable model. So we can go and study the demographics. The, the area that we're looking for, when, you, when people say like class A multifamily, they are looking at, let's just say, the cream of the crop neighborhood of your local city, right? The best mm-hmm. neighborhoods. But self-storage, it's a one to three mile radius. I mean, that's how tight the location is that we're studying. So it doesn't really matter if there's 10 other, 20 other facilities in the city. We're looking at a three mile radius. And so it's a, it's a lot more focused than I was originally aware of. And so, and we can very, very specifically pull the demographics 
So we will know how many square feet of lockers per, per square foot. We will know the demographics, the population, the medium household income, what the uh, unit price is for a 10 by 10, a 5 by 10, a 5 by 5. We will have all this data going into it beforehand. So for me, that is dramatically different. The second is just if I compare the two, the investment is like 10%. So when I was my first project that I worked on was a 400 unit development that we sold for $100 million. And, you know, the, the cost was, you know, a high percentage of that. In self-storage, 400 lockers, I mean, we just bought 343 for like $2.5 million. And so it's like a lot smaller investment. But then within that, I have a lot more flexibility. You know, if, if we're doing with a multifamily, I, I have a very specific unit count. I can't change that up. But in self-storage, I can remove a, a wall. I can, I can make things change a lot simpler and easier. And so for, that's the second one. And the third one, it's really a retail business as well. Uh, a lot of people think of it as a real estate play, and it is, but it's also a retail business. And so you have to treat it as both. And so it's, that's what makes it another unique thing comparing the differences between the two is it is a retail business. Well, when you say retail business, what are you, what are you selling outside of the storage? Well, I mean, we sell locks, we sell boxes, we sell wrap, but the churn rate. So, you know, you know, some people will stay like three months, but some people might stay only six months. So you're, you're constantly leasing it. But the difference is that I don't have to go through the massive eviction process uh, that you have in multifamily, especially like here in Chicago, where it's so uh, onerous to be an owner of a, of a multifamily comparing to being the tenant. I mean, this whole, uh, you know, moratorium on rent. I, I don't know how a lot of multifamily owners survive because of the fact that if they weren't collecting rents, how do you pay your mortgage? How do you pay your taxes? How do you keep the lights on? You know, we don't have that stress within, um, within self-storage because if someone stops paying, we send them a notice. If they ignore the notice, we lock their unit. We give them another notice. And then eventually we say goodbye and we're done. Sure. Well, you know, one of the things that you said that was interesting there too, is that you're dealing with a three mile radius. Is that typically as far as somebody will drive for self-storage? Yes. So the reason why we say three miles is about 15 or 20 minutes. So like if you're in like Chicago, New York, LA, that might be like one block. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that doesn't work around here. 15 to 20, 20 minutes is 15, 20 miles. And in, in that's part. the difference. If you're out in the country, that's a little bit yeah. different radius. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So, uh, so it's, it's more of a time constraint versus a, a distance constraint. Correct. It's how much of a hassle is it to get to it? Sure. So do you focus on certain parts of the country then? We're, we're focusing on the Midwest. We're looking at secondary markets, which are underserved. Uh, if you look at the demographics as a country overall, the East Coast, Florida, Texas, and then California and the West Coast are very saturated. So like the national average of square feet per locker is around seven. But in some of those markets, we're seeing it, you know, approaching 13 and they're still building. And, you know, to me, that's just like way too much risk. Sure. So, you know, I got to ask you, because I'm just downright curious, if somebody is, is, uh, has left or you've, you've sent them a couple notices, what do you do with those lockers? Is it, is it exactly like you see on television regarding auctioning those off? And how much gold do you actually find in those units? I've never found any gold. So first <laughs> of all, no, second of all, it, it's nothing like this shows. I mean, it, it's, it's sort of like the home improvement shows where they, you know, totally renovate a house and 
a week or, you know, a month. And I'm, and you know, then you have clients come to you and say, well, why can't you do this? You know, it's like drywall takes so long to dry, you know, tile takes so long to set. There's, mm -hmm. you know, there's only so much you can do to rush these things. But, um, you know, the, I have a friend in Massachusetts and he, he had, uh, he gave notice to someone and he didn't hear from him and he kept calling him. He finally called him and he goes, Hey, you know, you haven't been paying your rent. You haven't been here in like a, in a year, six months. He goes, well, I got a DUI. It's too far out in the country. I can't get out there. You can have what's in there. And he goes, well, what's in there? And he goes, a BMW model 2002. And he's like, you can have it. <laughs> like that's the best I've ever heard. But, um, yeah. you know, most of the time, you know, people are storing files or they're storing, you know, things that they think they might hold on later on. And usually it's not, doesn't have that much value to somebody else. It's certainly valuable to the person who stored it. But a lot of times it's just, you know, we clean it out and move it on. I mean, there are auctions, but you know, they only yield like three, four or $500, you know, just to oh, cover sure. the background. So it's probably best to, for the most part, just clear, clear it out, get access to it again. And exactly. It, what, I'd rather get the unit rented up. I think I've seen some places that there's, there's actually some, some guys are just kind of provided as a service. They'll come and clean it out for free if they can keep the stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that's really interesting. So tell us like your, your biggest project to date, like uh, give us the breakdown of how those numbers looked and, and, and or what what maybe you maybe that's what you're working on right now. It is. It's uh we we found a facility down in Louisville, Kentucky. The first thing we had to do is we had to learn how the locals say it so that they don't think they were not from there, but Louisville. And uh, it's a hundred and forty five thousand square foot building, and we're going to put about sixty percent of it is self storage, and uh, the other forty percent is flex warehouse space. And so we're okay. it's actually actually in four buildings, and we're dividing half the building in four. Flex, flex tenants, and then the other 60% will be for self-storage. So define flex tenants so that people understand what that is. It's like warehouse, but it's like nicer warehouse. So it's like, could be office. And so for instance, we have a company that makes safety repelling equipment in there. So they assemble it and then they sell it. Uh, we have uh, a guy who restores damaged furniture and uh, he has an artist in there. And then we have a, a carpenter who uses it as his workshop. So we have just a wide range of tenants. And so it could be any one of those tenants, you know, it could be an office, it could be, you know, storage space for a company. It could be, you know, just however they need to use it. So this mixed use model that is, this the first time you've done that? No, we have another building that's flex, a flex warehouse space. And in that one, we have a, um, a mechanic, we have uh, baseball fields, we have uh, an indoor field, we have a gym in there. We have golf training simulation. Uh, we have a uh, physical therapy for kids or occupational therapy for children and um, just a wide range of tenants. So what's the benefit there where you have the mixed use like that, plus the storage units in the same area? Have you found that it does, it somehow balances each other out or? Well, the building was too big to make it all self storage. So we were looking at how we could best utilize the building. And so that's where we tapped into our other experiences said, hey, if we do this and this, we can create enough revenue to make it worthwhile for us to do this. Oh, I see. So so with these type of proje projects then, and you're kind of splitting the use of the of this these facilities, have they have you also taken the time to figure out that uh, what what else is underserved in that area? Like what other businesses would fit or 
or do you just kind of, do you have to draw people is what I'm saying, asking, do you have to draw tenants to that facility? We will, but I mean, you know, there's never enough. I mean, here's the interesting thing in, in Louisville, coffee shops can serve alcohol, you know, they can serve uh, whiskey and beer. And so um, there, there's a boutique hotel across the street. So we could have like a, a speakeasy saloon, you know, in, in one of those spaces. And so, but we have a broker to help us with those in terms of what is the market. So we've analyzed that product as, as well as the self-storage to make sure that there's a marketplace for that. Sure. So have, is this pretty much all of these investments then, have they all been self-funded by you and your partners or is do you have any kind of syndications or? We have investor pools in each one of our projects. And so, you know, we, we have a group of people that we go out to and, uh, you know, learn their level of interest in the projects that we're doing. Well, if somebody was interested in what you're doing, would they find some in- information or is it not open to in that way? If you, if they go onto our website, uh, www.codadamg.com, you can see some of the pro- past projects that we've done. And then there's a place that for someone to learn more information. So, you know, with with everything here, you you got you're you're doing your self storage and it sounds like you're completely out of the multifamily, but now you're you're getting into commercial rental spaces as well. With with all of this opportunity that continues to present itself, have you found it hard to find that next opportunity? It sounds like you and your team are pretty imaginative when it comes to uh, finding a deal somewhere. Well, there's an abundance of empty buildings, so that that's not the challenge. The challenge is finding an empty building that meets the other criteria. And so, you know, we look at zoning, we look at population, we look at the building structure, we look at purchase price, all those different things. So, you know, we're you know we're keeping ourselves busy. Let's put it that way. And and it's I think we're self storage does really well in recessionary markets and um, thrives. And so I, I actually deemed it recessionary resistant. A lot of people call it recessionary proof. I don't think there's anything that's proof in real estate, but I think that the trends so that it resists recessions better than other classes. And so, um, you know, I'm feeling that there's a recession coming in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. And uh, so we're setting up ourselves, our business for that. Well, with that in mind, what have you been doing differently if you if you believe that there, there's a recession? I think we all kind of see something coming. You can't have something without record high gas prices and record high inflation and record, you know, we, we just can't be, we can't continue with that, with all of this without seeing something burst here soon. Yeah. So that, that's a great question. So some of the things that we've been doing is, you know, making sure we have our debt structure good in place. And then the second thing is also we've been getting, just buying other assets like the one we just purchased. I mean, that one was third, the market rents were 30% below market. So what we're going to do is just going and raising the rents. And so, you know, that's, that's our improvement to the property. But when we stress test it, we looked at is, you know, we looked at five different models in terms of stress testing it. And each one of them came back to how it's existing performing is like the worst stress test because it's so underneath the market. And so that's one of the reasons why we purchased that asset. Yeah. So that, that's interesting. Uh, you, a stress test. I don't think I've had anybody mention that before. So can you explain how you stress test these properties? You said you had five different models. Is this a software or something that you've, you've developed regarding the stress test? Well, my mentor always talked about think of life in best case, worst case, and most, what will most likely happen. You know, and, and can you live with worst case and can you live with what most likely will happen? So for us, the stress test is, 
you know, playing with the occupancy, playing with the rental rates, you know, just moving the different factors around to see how much, if, if we say that there's going to be a 10% drop in vacancy, or if the, the you know, the, the rental rates are going to get cut five or 10, 15%, whatever it may be. And so in this model, because the rental rates were 30% below and the, and the facility is, you know, 90% occupied, it's been 95, 90% occupied for the past 15 years. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of demand in the, in the facility. And so when, no matter how much we stressed it, you know, 15, 20%, the existing rental rates were 30% below. So it was like, even if we were, you know, playing with the vacancy, but had higher rental rates, it was still doing better than what it was currently doing now. And so that's where we just determined sure. that the, the, ex, the existing facility is, you know, under the worst case scenarios. You know, we, okay. we can play with the rental rates, but keep the occupancy and it's still pretty performing about the same. Yeah, that's that's an actual tip there that I think everybody should take note of. Stress testing your property and the finance financials and make sure that under that stress, it still performs. That's that's a really important tip. I appreciate that, Scott. My pleasure. I mean, the two major things that, you know, everybody knows that banks look at debt coverage ratio, but they're also looking at debt yield. And so the, those are the stress tests impact both of them. And so that way you can look at what the debt yield is. Sure. Okay. Well, you know, before I'm, we're kind of running out of time, but before I let you go, I really wanted to drive everybody one more time to your website, the codamg.com. Again, it's C-O-D-A-M-G.com. And, um, but before I let you go, Scott, is there a question or a thought you wish we should have covered here today? Well, I think we, we touched on it briefly in the sense of where the market is going. I mean, you, you mentioned that gas prices are high and you know, inflation is starting to rise. But I, you know, I'm, I'm preparing for a presentation, and I was looking back to the, the last Great Recession, which was in 79. And you know, gas prices back then were 85 cents a gallon. Now, if you put that in today's dollars, it's two dollars and like thirty-five cents. But like, you know, here in Chicago, it's like five dollars a gallon. And you know, we're looking at unemployment exactly the same, six million people. We're looking at you know, the big telltale sign though was if we looked at the uh, the amount of debt compared to the gross domestic product, it was in nineteen seventy nine it was like thirty-five percent, and now we're at one hundred and thirty-three percent. And so it's like. We've been printing so much money to keep us from going into a recession. You know, it's, it's now going to be catching up with us. And the, Fed, the Fed's hands are tied in terms of what they can do. All they can do is raise the interest rates, which is then going to slow down real estate, you know, in terms yeah. of what people can afford, what people can buy and those sorts of things. So, it, and, you know, we've cut our domestic fuel production. And if we, if we go after manufacturing, is a lot lower than it was in 1979. And then if we look at retail, retail's been hurting for two years now. So the only life bill that's really keeping the economy going is real estate. So if we begin attacking the real estate sector by hitting the inflation, you know, interest rates, which they have to do, it's going to be, it's going to cause a recessionary pressure. Yeah. And, and uh, we can, all, we, well, this, this past week, we already saw signs of that. They've, they, they tapped on the brakes a little bit. It's, it's only a quarter point, but it's going to, it's going to go up from there. Absolutely. So, well, I re- really appreciate your time, Scott. Again, it's CodaMG.com. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. I hope you'll take me up on that. Absolutely. Just uh, let me know when you I'm happy to join. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? 
If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.